Good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys glad to be in church this morning? I am so glad to be here. Well, I want to welcome back our high school group from CIY that was there last week. Uh, you guys, I'm really glad you guys went there. That's great. And I'm really glad I'm not taking kids there anymore. I'm glad that's somebody else's job. Thank you, Donovan, for, uh, for doing that. Uh, guys, we are in a series called When a Society Commits Suicide. We're going through Romans chapter 1. And so if you want to turn there to Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 18 to 32, is basically the whole series. Uh, today we're going to be uh, in verses uh, 1, 24 through 27. Uh, if you guys were here last week, uh, we talked about the first of three states that the Apostle Paul looks at throughout history, societies that decline and disintegrate. Uh, the first step uh, last week we talked about was removing God from the throne. They saw no need for God. They kicked him out of society. Okay, uh, Keeping a version of God that doesn't match the God of the Bible. Uh, when this happens, people, Paul says, their thinking becomes futile and the foolish hearts are darkened. And then rampant idolatry happens. We talked about all this last week. If you weren't here last week, I want to invite you to our YouTube channel. We've got the sermon there. Look up Catalyst Christian Church, Nicholsville, Kentucky, and uh, it'll be there on YouTube. Uh, you can also uh, get it from our podcast. But today... Uh, we're in step two. After that happens, the inevitable conclusion after that is society, uh, they commit suicide once God has been removed, is that there is a sexual revolution. That's the next step that Paul identifies. He writes this in Romans 1, 24 through 27. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So that's the first thing. It, a sexual revolution happens. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. And then he, he says, and after that, the next stage of that is this. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women could exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves due penalty for their error. So he talks about once we remove God from, from, from the throne and everything, there, then the society obsesses on sex. That's, that's amazing. He wrote that 2,000 years ago. Now, the best illustration I've seen for this is our solar system. You guys know I'm a science geek, so check out our solar system here. Okay, I found one that had Pluto as a planet. Okay, yes, Pluto, we feel, we feel you, you know, you got some love here, Pluto. So, okay, so our nine planets... Orbit the sun. The sun is our uh, is the center. The, 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 uh, we're only alive because of the sun. Sun's warmth. The sun's light. Everything. If if this if we would be toast without the sun. Everything. The, the planets orbit. Everything like that. Okay. Now, if the sun were removed from our solar system, what do you think would happen? Would the planets fly off into the into space, free of the sun's tyranny? and unreasonable gravity? Would, would the planets embrace this new freedom of doing what they would want to do, breaking free the old traditions and, and the old, uh, 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 old ways of doing things? Hardly. First of all, all life would die. That'd be the first thing that would happen. Second, the planets would simply become subject to the next most powerful force. They wouldn't be able to do their own thing. They, they would find something else to center around. And that is the planet Jupiter. 
Planet Jupiter, which is the largest one in our solar system, is, is the next most powerful force in our solar system. So if the sun were removed, everybody would, would just start orbiting Jupiter. Okay, it would resemble orbiting the sun. It would resemble that, but it would be very different because um, uh, it would be a lazy haphazard orbit taking our, our earth about three to four times longer to do this. It'd be cold, lifeless, but it would resemble uh, what, what resemble the sun. And that's exactly what Romans 1 describes. With God removed from, the, from our lives, our lives are supposed to orbit God. He is the giver of life. He's the one that keeps us in orbit. We're supposed to center our lives around him and his ways. And when he is removed, we don't become free. We don't become this, we don't get this utopia and everything. We simply start centering on the next most powerful thing. And Paul has identified that as sex. And with God removed from society, sex becomes everything in society. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's amazing uh, that, that 2,000 years ago, we find out that he wrote that, and that's exactly what we're experiencing today. But like planets, uh, like, like Jupiter, it doesn't give us life. It, doesn't, it, it resembles something similar, but it doesn't give us life, Okay? So the next most powerful thing, sex, like I said, uh, Paul said that a sexual revolution happens. The society will become obsessed with sex. It'll be in every magazine. It'll be on every TV show. It'll be on every advertisement. It'll be in every textbook. It'll be in every movie. It will be in every, uh, every billboard advertisement. It will be everywhere. People will stake their entire identity on it. And that's what Paul says happens when we remove God. From the throne, and it's a step two of three of a society committing suicide. Like I said, like Jupiter, sex is not life-giving. It's not. It was never meant to. We become joyless, lifeless, bitter, hopeless, uh, uh, hopeless creatures. Now, why is this? You'd think that with, with this being our center, we would be happier and joyful, right? Well, it's because of all pleasure is subject to something called the law of diminishing returns. Okay, the law of diminishing returns is called the hedonistic paradox. The more you go after pleasure, the less you get. Now, this, uh, this is best illustrated. Rachel and I went to the new Steak and Shake in front of Bethel Harvest. How many of y'all been there? That's excellent. Steak and Shake is excellent. I had the garlic double steak burger, large shoestring fries, and a uh, Reese's peanut butter, butter cup shake. It was excellent. It was so good. Now, let's say that I go there today. It was so good, I go there today and have the same thing. And the next day, the same thing. And the next day, the same thing. And the next day, the same thing. After about a week, I'm probably not enjoying it very much. You would think I would because it's great, right? No, you, the law of diminishing returns. Every time you engage in a pleasure, the less pleasure you get. It's called the hedonistic paradox. And so that is why a society dialed in on sex is miserable and bitter because we're expecting and it just doesn't satisfy like it should. Law of diminishing returns. This was described so aptly by that brilliant 80s philosopher, Axl Rose. I used to do a little, but the little wouldn't do it, so the little got more and more. I just keep trying to get a little better, a little better than before. Absolutely. Mr. Brownstone talking about heroin addiction. That's exactly what our society is now. It's on full display this month. We see the hiddenness of paradox and law of diminishing returns big time this month. When former President Bill Clinton established June as Pride Month back in the 90s. Uh, basically, it was, it was fairly muted. It was adult gay men and adult gay women 
saying, hey, we're here. That was about it. And it was new. It was exciting. But then it wasn't new. And it wasn't exciting. So they had to push it further. They had to start pride parades. Again, adults parading, doing their thing. And they went home. But that was only exciting for a little while. And so they got boring. So they had to start pushing corporations to get involved. Everybody started demonstrating their support for LGBTQ. And that was okay for a little while. But that wasn't enough. So then they had to start having drag queens and, and, and story time uh, with kids, drag queen story hour. And, uh, and that, that was, that was a, a, you know, for a little while. And then they started taking children to drag show performances, which is going on in Dallas, Texas right now. Now pedophilia is on full display as adults groom children to be part of the LGBTQ community. It's on full display now. Look at how far it's come just in 30 years because of the hedonistic paradox. What satisfies you doesn't satisfy you. You have to push more. Then you have to push more. Then you have to push more because every time you indulge in a pleasure, you get less satisfaction. So you understand where this is going. And it's not going to stop because a lot of diminishing returns continues. And people who are centered down on sex have to keep going further and further and further for less and less satisfaction. And that's the mark of a society committing suicide. Like a person who's addicted to heroin, you have to keep going for a bigger and bigger high, pushing further and further to get less and less. We were never designed to center our lives on pleasure because of that. So society, based on sexual life, do the same thing. Uh, that's why we are where we are right now. The timeline of America uh, is basically, how did we get here? Well, it's been a steady progression since 1918. If you guys follow here. The, America's rejection of God and what has happened since. All right? Uh, this is what happened in, in 1918, the arrival of Germ, German higher criticism by the Frankfurt School in 1918. Frankfurt School was a bunch of Marxist uh, uh, philosophers that came over and they basically said, the Bible really isn't God's word. It's not, uh, it, it's, 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 it's criticism. It, it's just literature and we're going to apply the same criticism to it that, that we apply to everything else. They, don't, they did not believe that the Bible was the inspired word of God and they got pastors and seminaries to question the word of God. That's where it all started in 19. 18, right after World War I. Um, then uh, they removed the divine inspiration, and they, th- this th- thought arrived in seminaries after World War II. So most seminaries in the 40s and 50s cranked out pastors that did not believe that the Bible was the Word of God. And that set off us to the 60s. In the 60s, we had the sexual revolution. If you guys see this image right here, this is the iconic image of the 60s. It is, it is uh, Woodstock right there. That was the iconic image of the 60s. It was the sexual revolution on full display. It was throwing off the old moors because the Bible as a word of God had been removed and the generation had been taught that, that, that the Bible was not really the word of God. And so th- this was the, the first thing in the 60s, the sexual revolution. And with the advent of birth control pill, removing pregnancy as a, as a fear, um, uh, both men and women engaged in, in just free love in the 60s and 70s. And then... After that, step three was the Stonewall Uprising. Uh, launched the modern-day homosexual movement in 1969. The Stonewall Uprising was a, was, a, it was a gay nightclub in New York that police raided, and riots started after that, and that was seen as the beginning of the current homosexual movement. All right, that was the first gay pride parade was held in New York City one year to the date after that, the Stonewall Uprisings. 
Okay, and that was it for a while. Then step four became the legalization of homosexual marriage in 2015. Obergefell, um, Obergefell um, thing. If you know, if any of you all remember, the White House lit up with pride colors celebrating the the uh, legalization of gay marriage. And then step five, only seven years later, now this is this week, explosion of transgenderism among young people in 2022. I read a news article that says this, transgender young people in the U.S. have nearly doubled recently, report shows. The number of younger teenagers who identify as transgenders nearly doubled in the U.S. over the past few years, according to a new report. The number of transgender people aged 13 to 17 is almost twice what it was in 2017, according to a report by the Williams Institute. In 2017, the Williams Institute researchers estimated that around 0.7% of younger teens were transgender in the U.S., about 150,000 teens. Now that, in five years, has doubled to 300,000. How does this happen? Well, you see, when you remove God from the throne, a society becomes obsessed with sex. And because of the hedonistic paradox and law of diminishing returns, they have to push and push and push and go further and further and further. Okay? So the church needs to put forth a better vision than just simply love is love, right? Okay, that's what we are told. Love is love, right? But the church has to speak uh, a better vision than that. Because right in, in 26 and 27, it said that we've been given over to shameful lusts. And even women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones in the same way. Men also abandon natural relations with women so that in order to flame with lust for one another. Men committed indecent or shameful acts with other men and received themselves due penalty for their error. Maybe love really isn't just an attraction. Maybe love isn't really just an emotion. Maybe love is different than that. See, guys, God is love. God created love. He invented love, and he's the one that says what it is. Okay, the problem is the church has tried to become palatable to the world. We've been try- we tried to become accepted in high uh, uh, um, ivory towers of academia and in popular culture. And because of that, we've become exactly like the world. And we have found that the romance is very one-sided. Churches that have compromised with the world, that have abandoned biblical sexuality and stopped teaching what the Bible says about it. Uh, gone with the world's definition of love, realize they're the ones that have done all the changing. Churches are emptying, they haven't made disciples, and the world still hates them. Let's take a look at Europe. The church in Europe is basically dead, I think we can all agree on that. It's a very post-Christian society. The church in Europe uh, is, uh, if you look at churches there, they're fully worldly ordaining homosexual bishops, uh, transgender clergy, et cetera, like this. They do not believe the word of God. Uh, the Bible is the word of God. Rarely preach Jesus. They're extremely compact, extremely worldly, okay? Are they reaching Europe? No, they're not reaching Europe. Guess who is reaching Europe? Islam. Islam is exploding in Europe as the church has, has removed its influence through compromising with the world, Islam is growing like wildfire in Europe. I read a book called The Strange Death of Europe several years ago that said basically Europe will be a Muslim continent in 100 years because of birth rates, because of conversion rates, and Islam is growing quickly. They do this, even though it's a false teaching following a false God, a false 
uh, prophet, they are doing this because they don't compromise. They, they reject the popular culture. They reject the immorality of, of Europe, and they stay with their beliefs. And they are converting Europeans right and left. You think that with their views on things, people will be turning away quite the opposite. Turns out that sticking to the tenets of your faith actually does cause growth. Turns out that marrying the world is a one-sided marriage where you do all the giving and get nothing in return. So I'm calling the church and Christians to stop compromising with the world, to stop making agreements with the world. It will not make agreements with you. By compromising your beliefs, you will not gain friends. You will not gain anything. You will simply be uh, used as a prostitute, basically. You'll find that romance is very one-sided. Stop compromising with the world, and let's present a better vision. What is God's vision for sex? It is this. Celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage. That's what it is. That's biblical sexuality. Mark 10, 6 through 9, Jesus says this. That at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That is Jesus' words. That is what he wants for all of us. Marriage and sexuality is not our territory. It is God's territory. He invented, he created, and he gets to define it. Marriage is between one man and one woman, full stop. That's the way God set it up. I don't care what the world says. In the Bible, that is what you see. Societies that honor this do well. Societies that disregard this perish. We've seen it time and time again. And the church must set a higher standard for human sexuality than do what feels good. Single people in here, I love you. I'm calling you to celibacy. I'm calling you to have self-control and to wait until marriage. That's what I'm calling you to do. Like, oh, that is so out of touch. Really? How's, how's the alternative working out for us? Why can't the church have a, call people to, high, to, to a high standard? Why can't we call people to God's standard? Why can't we call people to Jesus' standard? We're the church. We're not a social club. We're not weak. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We are called to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what we're called to. That's the fruit of the Spirit living within you. Married people, I call you to fidelity within your marriage. Let the marriage bed be kept pure, the Bible says. And we've fallen short of that. And it's time for us to repent. And it's time for us to reconsider and return to the Lord. There's a young man here who uh, has an amazing testimony. I've asked him to come here today. Please welcome Hunter Sherwood. Hi, good morning. Um, thanks, David. Um, again, my name is Hunter. Um, I feel very blessed and honored to get to share with you all today. Um, just so you know a little bit about me, I'm a floral and event designer and event rental specialist here in Kentucky. Um, I do a lot of event stuff. So um, I also co-lead a large um, group of single men and women um, in their 30s and 40s at Southland Christian Church. And I serve on Southland's worship team as a vocalist. 
But I'm not here to talk about flowers or events or how to grow a singles ministry. Um, I'm here to talk about me. Um, not really, but I sort of am. Um, but we are going to talk about some hard stuff. Um, I have a wonderful family, one that everyone always wanted to be a part of growing up. I'm lucky to have both my parents. I'm the oldest of four kids. Uh, we were basically in church every time the doors were open. I mean, I literally grew up in church. And the list of ministries I've been a part of is extensive, from choirs to vacation Bible schools, mission trips, uh, children's praise and worship leaders, special needs ministry. If there was something to be a part of, I was probably somewhere in the middle of it, if not in charge of it. Um, from the outside, I was an A-plus Christian. My resume of good works was extensive, um, and it was a great mask to hide behind. I've always been creative, artistic, and musical, and those are good gifts that naturally come easily to me, um, but that doesn't always match up with our earthly expectations of how we typically view men. I wasn't athletic, I wasn't mechanical, I was never a tough guy. I quit Boy Scouts because camping is literally the worst thing in the world. I mean, elementary school, Cub Scouts, let's carve the state of Kentucky out of a bar of soap. We're going to tie some knots. Fantastic. Great. Boy Scouts, this pillow is now a rock, and here's a knife and a plastic tarp, and try not to die. So, um, so it was just not for me. Um, probably somewhere in the junior high phase of life, I was starting to notice that my attractions didn't quite line up with the other guys around me. While the rest of the guys loved Britney Spears because she was hot, I loved Britney because she was fabulous. Um, I was starting to deal with feelings that didn't fit into that Christian mold that I grew up knowing. So I ignored, I denied, and I hid them. I would venture to guess that friends and family probably had their suspicions that I wasn't exactly straight, but it was never talked about, at least not with me. I did finally find the strength to open up to a minister I trusted, mostly because he just happened to mention that he had a gay brother. And I thought, finally, there's someone I could talk to about what I'm dealing with. And I always believed that homosexuality was wrong, that I didn't want to be gay, but for the first time, I was truly honest with someone, pouring out my brokenness. And I wasn't met with judgment. It was a place to decompress and finally start to work through some of those feelings that I didn't know what to do with. I had a few close friends I was starting to open up to, and things seemed like they were on the right path. But then what was the biggest blow, blow up in my perfectly balanced Christian life hit me, and it hit me hard. The largest ministry I was involved with kind of crashed around me. And I had these wonderful grand schemes of the direction of my life and where that was headed and included that ministry. And when that was gone, everything just was not there. I limped away from the church. And those projects and plans that I had when they were gone and the mask that I was wearing, it was just gone. I said gone a lot. Um, all the good things I was involved with weren't there. And I was left, and everything, I was, and everything that I was hiding and all that was left was everything that I was hiding, and now there was nothing to hide behind. The secrecy of the internet fueled the sin I was hiding, but secret sin demands more than just being secret. It fueled the fire to move from the world of fantasy and into reality. It started with long chats and emails with strangers, and eventually I got brave slash desperate enough, depending on how you want to come at that, um, to finally meet somebody. And it felt like finding something that was missing. It led to wanting to meet another guy and go a little further than I did with the last one. And in that secret online place, there's a lot of flakiness. And combine that with the gay world and their superficial standards, every, um, eventually I would meet with any guy that would give me the tiniest shred of attention, which led to more and more dangerous situations and riskier and riskier behaviors. In the spring of 2015, I started to not feel well. I was tired and my sleep was restless and I was sweating profusely at night and I froze during the day. My breathing became labored, and I lost my appetite, and I began to lose weight rapidly. 
Doctors eventually determined that I had pneumonia and I was treated for common strains of the infection. But I continued to decline. I spent weeks on the couch trying to sleep sitting up because if I laid down, I couldn't breathe. And my breathing became so strained and I was so weak that I couldn't walk and I was just wasting away. On, Friday, on a Friday afternoon, I called my doctor again, but this time I was sent to the hospital. I'd never spent time in the hospital before, just a few quick trips to the emergency room. When I arrived, I was wheeled in and the oxygen levels in my blood were so low, I was immediately given a high dose of oxygen to hopefully just get something into my lungs. And I was given IV bag after IV bag to just pull me out of hydration, out of dehydration. Saturday morning, I received a CT scan to reveal that I had a rare form of pneumonia. The hospital's pulmonologist decided to do a biopsy the following Monday um, for further analysis. And I spent that weekend fading further and further away from life. In the early morning hours on that Monday, the nurses decided my body was just out of control. My temperature was wildly fluctuating and my oxygen levels barely registered, so they called in a rapid response team. And being at St. Joseph, a Catholic hospital, that team also came with a priest to administer my last rites. I was on the threshold of death. I was whisked away to an emergency surgery and I remember needles going into my arm and then there was nothing. I woke up sometime later in the ICU I was strapped to, the, strapped to the bed and a ventilator down my throat and a chest tube in my side. I had no idea how much time had passed, and then a new doctor came in to see me, and he asked my parents to leave the room. And on June 23, 2015, my life changed forever. Over all the beeping and whirring of the machines, the doctor leaned over and he whispered in my ear, Hunter, you have HIV. And all I could think was how. I mean, I knew how, but how had I gotten here? How had, I, how had I wandered so far down a road that was so far from where my life started? How had I traded everything I knew to be true for what felt right in the moment? I cried, and it hurt. It hurt emotionally, it hurt spiritually, and most noticeably in that moment, it hurt physically, sobbing with a ventilator tube down my throat. I was dying from pneumocystic pneumonia, an opportunistic infection that can take over your body when HIV has become so rampant that you move into a state of AIDS. You're considered to be in a stage of AIDS when your white blood cell count drops below 200 um, cells per square milliliter of blood. A, norm a normal, healthy person's white blood cell count is in the five to 700 range. When I entered the hospital, my white blood cell count was nine, along 250,000 copies of the HIV virus. My body had been taken over, and it was the physical manifestation of the sin in my life. I had become the embodiment of James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted, and when he is lured and, he, and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I was nearly dead in my sin, but I wasn't dead yet. I had a long road to recovery. Weeks went by in the hospital, and eventually ventilators weren't needed, and chest tubes came out. It was a, an accomplishment when I could take ten steps down a hallway. When you have nothing to do in a hospital but sit and heal, there's plenty of time to pray. And over the hum of the oxygen, oxygen tanks came a still, small voice. You've spent all your life doing stuff for me, but you never knew me. <sighs> I'd spent my entire life in churches and in Christian schools, and somehow I'd missed who Jesus was. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that is what you were. And I was some combination of a lot of those things. 
All sin separates us from God, but the good news is that even though all sin equally separates us from God, the blood of Christ equally covers that sin. The sin I personally struggle with is just as covered in that list of iniquities. We live in a world that is all too ready to accept whatever sinner is out there and leave them to die in that sin with no actual hope. The church is running behind on this issue, not to accept homosexuality, but to help our brothers and sisters struggling with same-sex attractions and navigate the brokenness of human nature. We need grace to let people wrestle with sin in front of God, and we need biblical truth to guide us when feelings feel like truth. We were never promised an easy life. John 16, 33, Jesus promises that we will have trouble, but he immediately follows, the, uh, follows it up with the promise that he has already overcome the world. There's a date before June 23rd, 2015 that's even more important, and that's October 7th, 1996. That's the day I was baptized at the age of 12, saved before I really knew how much I actually needed saving. It took a while to truly accept the forgiveness that God so freely gives. Sin is mentally breaking. It wears us down to where we forget to remember how good God is when we chase after his truth and not our own desires. And I live daily living with same-sex attractions, but instead of burying that struggle, it is time to bring, out, bring that out into the light and let the light swallow the darkness. And that light is found in sharing with close friends and ministers and other Christians who struggle similarly and understand the road that you're on. I lean heavily on the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, where he describes a thorn in the flesh. The medications I take daily and the still painful chest tube scars are a constant reminder that God's power is made perfect in my weakness. And I've seen people's lives transform, either by the immediate power of the Holy Spirit or through some introspective therapies. And they go on to live normal, straight lives. And I've prayed for this thorn to be removed from me, but it still remains. But it no longer rules my life. So I will faithfully wait on him knowing that I am weak so that he can be my strength. Though heterosexuality may not be the end goal, God's end goal for me, I know that holiness is, and we are all called to his holiness. Thank you so much, Hunter. As seen you, we sat down about, what, four years ago to walk, work on this testimony, and uh, I, that's the first time I heard. You guys, it, the, the whole thing is actually like an hour long. And I said, hey, can you do it in 10 minutes? So, he, so uh, I, I But I would highly recommend a uh, friend him on Facebook or talk to him or something like that if you want to hear more. The reason uh, that Hunter actually contacted me today, he said, I'm so tired of the world being the only one that can speak on this. And so I, I said, well, come on this weekend and talk to our church. So I'm so glad that you did. Um, guys, in, uh, I'm, I'm, in this topic right here, we need what is called a book of the law found moment. Now, those of you guys that are Bible scholars know what this is, but most of you don't. So uh, in 2 Kings, in the Old Testament, um, the, the nation of Israel was so far off the rails that they make us look like a, a holy nation. Seriously, they were so far gone with terrible leadership, uh, rejecting God, everything like this. Um, King Josiah, who was, he was eight years old when he came to the, came to the throne, and, uh, and he was, uh, they were building, the, they were rebuilding the temple. And Second uh, Kings 22, verse 11 through 13, um, if it's somebody, one of, the, one of the guys building the temple said, hey, there's this, there's this book of the law that we just found. And it was the book of Deuteronomy. It was the old book of Deuteronomy, the fourth book in the, in the Bible. And it had disappeared. No one had read the Bible. No one had read God's word. And so the guy, King Josiah said, well, come here and tell me what it says. And the guy starts reading from it. 
And right here in verse 11, it says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest. I can, all these people, yeah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people of all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. He's like, he, he had an, a, a, oh man, moment. He, hadn't, he didn't know this. And, and, and when he saw the book of the law, he saw how far off track they had become. And he said this, great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And he's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize this. It's like someone held up a mirror and showed him exactly what he looked like. And dropping down here, uh, he goes, tell the king of Judah, who you sent to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard, because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste, and because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have also heard you, declares the Lord, and I'm not going to bring on the calamity. That's a book of the law moment where we actually find out what God wants for us and we are broken with how far off we are. We need that moment right here. Rachel and I were having dinner with a couple in our church this past Monday, great evening, and the conversation shifted around to what's going on in our country and, and uh, all the seemingly all-out onslaught against God's word. And what's going on right now, particularly when it comes to sex and sexuality. And, and I said this, you guys, I grew up in locker rooms. It's extremely hard to offend me. It really is. There's not much I get offended. I know I should get offended about stuff, but I, I guess it's just old news. I don't know. It's extremely hard to offend me with anything. But when I heard, several years ago, when I heard Cardi B's song, W.A.P., I literally had to turn it off. It was so offensive to me. I don't recommend you guys listening to that song. But if you have, if you are unfortunate like me to have heard it, um, it wasn't offensive to me, you guys, because of what it said. It was offensive to me because of the source and because about the, the vision being portrayed. I thought to myself when I heard this song, I thought to myself, here are the most broken dysfunctional people literally in the world and they're the ones that are singing about love they're the ones that are singing about attraction they're the ones that are setting the vision for everyone okay the people that are worst at love are the ones telling us about it cardi b was pointing out the attractiveness of her genitalia honestly as if that was what it was all about and all of our people all more than a hundred million downloads of that song happened in the first week and what i wanted to do when i when i heard that song was shout this isn't real listening to this lady about love it's like listening to your drunk, unemployed, crazy uncle rail about politics. Seriously, it's a broken, dysfunctional woman who doesn't know anything about love. And I said, instead of this, I was telling this couple, I said, I, I, at, at the table, I said, instead of that, check this out. I wish they'd write a song about this. And I told them a story that just came to mind. A friend of mine who was in seminary with me, when he was in high school, the family was sitting around at the breakfast table, just eating dinner, eating breakfast, getting ready for their day, when his mom clutched her heart, and fell over onto the floor. And his dad ran around the table, scooped up his bride, 
rushed her to the truck and drove like a madman to the hospital. Well, they were too late. His mom died of a massive heart attack that morning. And after the funeral and the burial and the, the grief and the tears and, and everything like that, he said he and his dad and his older brother were sitting around the table, kitchen table, same kitchen table, and they were asking questions. Hey, what, what do you think mom's doing you know, up in heaven? What, what, what do you think's going on? What is she seeing right now? Suddenly, he said, his dad looked at his boys and said, take me back to the cemetery. And my friend said, Dad, it's, it's after 10 o'clock. Why, why do you want to go to the cemetery again? And his dad said, don't argue with the man that's just lost his wife of 25 years. Let's go. Take me back to the cemetery. And they get in the truck, and they go to the cemetery. And they went and stood by the graveside there in the dark. And his dad put his arms around his two sons. And he said, boys, this happened exactly like I wanted it to happen. She went first. And my friend said, how do you figure, dad? And his dad said, when two people love each other as much as your mom and I did, each one hopes the other goes first so that the person they love won't have to experience the grief. He said, I didn't want your mom to feel what I'm feeling right now. I wanted that for myself. And he said, I'm glad it was me that, that, that is experiencing this and not your mother. He turned to leave and he said, boys, it's been a good day. It's been a really good day. See, those two people had something that was real. Not fake like what Cardi B was singing about. See, that's the vision. That's God's will for us. And when you see that kind of love, when you see what those two people have, it's a book of the law moment where you see how fake and how shallow and how completely wrong everything that we're seeing paraded on TV is. When you realize that that is God's vision, that's what God wants for us, then you realize how repulsive and shallow and disgusting things like Cardi B's song is and the things we're seeing on TV this month. Don't follow the world down the path of sexual rebellion, church. It's a path to suicide. It's the way societies destroy themselves. Are we so foolish to think that if we follow the same path that Rome and Greece and the nation of Israel follow, that we won't wind up in the same place? It's been done before, y'all, and always ends up the same way. Pray for our nation, church. Pray for those who've been deceived into thinking that the sexual rebellion is a good thing. Let's have a book of the law moment. Pray for those that are caught up in it. And let's get our own house in order. Catalyst Christian Church and those online, if there's sexual sin or rebellion in our lives, I'm calling you to repent of it right now. I'm calling you to turn back 
to the Lord. I'm calling you to have a book of the law moment. I'm calling you to come back to God's ways and God's will. Let's return to the Lord with a new vision, a new sense of holiness, a new sense of devotion, and a new honoring of his ways and his word. Let's return to the Lord, church, to his will and his ways. Maybe maybe it's too old to call it Let's have a book of the law moment. Maybe, if you forgive me for saying this, maybe we need to have a Hunter Sherwood moment where we return to the Lord. What I love about Hunter's testimony is that he didn't, he didn't allow that to define him. Now he's on staff at our grandparents' church. Our, our grand, Southland's our grandparent. He's on staff there reaching people for Christ. I love it using his story to glorify God, his return to God. Let that be our story, church. Let's return to God and stop following the path of, of a society that commits suicide. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as I...